One of the biggest problems and obstacles we face as investors in this crypto space is how do we trust someone we've never met? We don't know who they are. They use a photo of a monkey as their profile photo and they are receiving millions of dollars from investors into their project. How do we know we're not going to get scammed? Rug pulled. How do we know this is legit? How do we know that they're willing to take accountability, that they're not just going to run off with the money and disappear? And it is a massive problem in the crypto space. But with massive problems comes the opportunity for solutions. Today, I had the great privilege and honor to talk with El Chapo, who is the man behind Assure DeFi, which is a verification gold standard that's adding credibility to the blockchain. Simply put, they're privately verifying the identity of project owners so that those project owners can remain anonymous, yet still take accountability for their actions. Really hope you enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. Enjoy. Welcome to the Crypto Labs Experience, where freedom to us is simply non-negotiable. This podcast is dedicated to helping you take your power back and create your own version of financial freedom. Join us as we surf the blockchain and explore the world of crypto, DeFi, and the future of money. Buckle up and enjoy the adventure. Super excited to chat, and I genuinely mean that. I think there was like two or three. I think we talked, I was in Mexico. That must have been four or six weeks ago. I don't know. I had a very in-depth conversation. I think I had six pages of notes about what it is you do and I'm like, what could this podcast be about? Because there's 18,000 things that we could talk about. Then I went down the rabbit hole of your medium, your Twitter, and the depth of what you share goes deep. So I'm excited and terrified because I feel like this podcast could probably be 10 hours long. Um, I'm going to try to keep it 45 minutes so nobody falls asleep on us. Okay. It seems like stats drop off 30 minutes, no matter how interesting the podcast is. I think we live in a fairly... Um, now, 30 minutes is a lot to ask of someone's time. So I'm going to do my best to extract. As I, think much that numbers, I think that number of how long people's attention spans last in the world is going down by the year. It's like 10 cents so. for the most part. But podcast <laughs> listeners, it's, it's why I do podcasting and YouTube because there's people genuinely willing to sit down for an hour and actually absorb and learn. It's not like we're doing a little TikTok, you know, what's mm-hmm. Bitcoin price prediction and to the moon type stuff. So really excited to get into it. Um, tell us a little bit about what it is you do. I know you run Assure DeFi, but you do so much more than just that. So I'd love to just get a, a scope of what it is you do in this space, um, why you're in this space, how you got into this space. And then we've got some really interesting questions lined up for you. Sure. Um, well, right now, currently, my sole focus is really Assure DeFi. Um, being the CEO of a young business that's been around for a year and is growing quickly, occupies every bit of my uh, attention and time. So I don't have a whole lot of time to do anything else right now, but um, certainly haven't run a sure DeFi my whole uh, crypto career. I kind of got into the crypto space uh, five or six years ago, just as an investor, um, a curious investor who didn't really know what I was doing. And the Chapo account was born. <laughs> um, and I just kind of went down the rabbit hole first as a, I'll say a researcher and a student of, of crypto and blockchain and trying to figure out what this was all about. Um, and an extremely novice and non-seasoned investor at the time. Um, 
it took me about three years, I think, to really wrap my head around what was going on and what it was all about. And my fascination never wavered. And I started participating on some project teams for um, tokens that I was invested in. Um, that really led to me becoming a lot more active with some of my investments and really contributing and trying to provide value, which bled into me having the opportunity to actually lead a few projects. So um, I served as the leader for a couple uh, pro couple crypto projects um, over the last few years and uh, then moved into an advisory capacity for a, a couple other projects that has it's been pretty interesting. Um, I've participated in the marketing and promotional space and doing some consulting in that arena for new projects. And now here I am uh, running a business that's focused on doing verification services in the crypto space. So, um, so it's been an interesting journey. It seems like, <laughs> I mean, if you got into it, what, four or five years ago, because DeFi is not really that, um, that old. So you probably went down, I guess, like most of us, like I, Got into Bitcoin and Ethereum because the company was holding a ton of cash and it's losing 8, 10, 12% per year or whatever the real number is. So I bought tons of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then I started being like, can I you know, stake this? And what's yield farming and getting into tokenized real estate and you know, and then getting into the DGEN DeFi stuff. So it oh seems boy, like you went, you went down the rabbit hole quickly, brother. <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole very quick. Now I'm reading like massive 300 page engineering books on like, you know, uh -huh. designing dApps on the Ethereum network and understanding how the fundamental, you know, coding and technology works. Very interesting to me. So sounds like five years ago, the crypto space was, I, I think you said five years, probably very different than it is now. What's What's been the biggest change from your perspective? Uh, definitely wildly different. Um, I think, you know, if you look at a real top level, because we could talk about we could talk for 10 hours about the differences between when I first got into the space and what it is now. But fundamentally, I think really what's changed is back, you know, in 2016, um, when I first got into the space and, and into 2017, kind of during the, that last major bull run back then, there was a lot of debate and speculation as far as whether, whether, you know, whether this was even real or whether it was all a fraud. And there was speculation about whether institutional money would ever come or whether that was a pipe dream and whether companies would ever hold it on their balance sheet or whether that was you know just not ever going to happen and truthfully most most things back then there was no real utility it was speculation right. about the utility that could be built one day um that's totally different i mean there's no question now in the market that this is here to stay. It's a $2 trillion market with some of the biggest corporate players in the world and financial yeah. institutions who have <laughs> create, you know, one of the a couple of the richest people in the world are in the crypto space. And there's real, uh, there's real utility for things now. So it's a lot less speculative yeah. than it was, you know, it's, there's a lot less of a debate. It's, it's almost like the only people now that, don't that don't believe it are just uneducated about how mature the market has already become. Yeah, yeah. What's like Apple's market cap? Isn't Apple's market cap something like three trillion? Or am I way off on that? But I, I'm like, it's still it's grown so much. But when I look at it, I'm like, this is so young. Because I got into it a year and a half ago, thinking that I was so late. Um, but when I actually zoom out, I'm like, this is solving so many problems. But it's still so 
it feels like this, like, I don't know, it's probably when ships sailed to sea and everyone was excited about what they'd find. I feel like it's that kind of energy in the crypto space still. So I can only imagine what it was five years ago. Like you were an earlier you're, explorer. You're totally right. You're totally right. I mean, it. everybody who joins the space feels like they're late. Yeah. People, you know, I felt like I was late. In 2016 or 2017, I, I was in there and there's all these OGs from 2013 yeah. who bought Bitcoin at, you know, a dollar. And I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness, I'm, I'm sitting here. Like I'm, I'm so late to the party here, but now yeah. everybody looks at me as an OG in the space. And yeah. y- you will be looked at as an OG in the space. And yeah. in retrospect, 20 years from now and 30 years from now, people are going to look back and be like, wow, I wish totally. I had the opportunity to participate in the space before it was, you know, before it got built in the first 10, 15 years, that's insane that you were able to participate in this whole financial revolution in the first two decades. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think Apple, I think the total crypto market cap is less than just Apple. Still. Yeah. That's right. That's so. right. Um, but when I, when I look at the problems crypto is solving and, and DeFi is solving and I, we obviously all want to make money. And I'm not sure your perspective. That's my next question is, um, you know, what's, what's, I think everyone has a goal in this space. And I think there's some people who are like, I'm buying Bitcoin and they're, they're, they're more about the philosophy of Bitcoin and I'll never sell that. I know day traders. I know swing traders. I know people who don't care what they buy. They just want to make some money. And then I have others who are kind of in the middle and, and that probably be me as I'm inspired by the problems it's solving and taking part of this revolution. But I also like to cut a little profit and sell on my way up and, you know, make a little bit of money. That's always nice. Uh, what's your, what's your, what's your goal? Like, why are you in this space? Cause you're very active. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a combination of a lot of things and why I'm in this space um, from a philo- philosophical point of view, I think it's going to be the biggest change that I likely see in my lifetime for the world. That's fun. Um, and that, and that I have the ability to participate in like, um, I'm a little too young to have really like built the internet. Um, I don't think that there's going to be another industry that radically changes the world as much as blockchain will. And um, because I have kind of the a technical background myself, um, there's no other industry that I'd rather work in. To me, it's the most exciting space. So to work in it, that's why I'm in it. But as an investor, I also think it presents the biggest opportunity. It's it's a massive generational and you know the, it's the biggest financial change and shift of wealth. Um, I think that we'll see in our lifetime. So it presents the best opportunity to make money. And I can tell you, I like money as much as the next guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to understand it the best and participate as much as I can in that um, generational shift of wealth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's one last question that I got to get on the table here. If anyone's been listening to this podcast and they come from, you know, all my old content, we had, you know, we had a booming podcast and the guests there were very public. I mean, he's like a Grant Cardone who, you know, every little aspect of their life and their marketers and they're very, you know, they run massive companies and they're, they share the most intimate details about themselves. You run a sure DeFi, which obviously, um, you know, is, is, is verifying identities of people who don't want to be known who they are. And that's new to me. I'm still putting the pieces together. So like we talked off the podcast, I understand why someone who's in a very high risk, launching a high risk project and, you know, maybe doesn't want to 
be known who they are because they don't want to have death threats or be, you know, attacked or hated or whatever. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get it. For someone running a company, a business, you know, is is so public in terms of the content you produce. Genuinely curious, and anyone who is new to this space is probably wondering too. Is like, why are you talking to this guy named Chapo who doesn't show his face? Why should I trust him? Um, like, it's it's kind of new fascinating to me so interesting to me and i know it's integral to the crypto space which which fascinates me all the same but if you don't mind i'd love to know why you remain anonymous and why why others choose to when i feel as a marketer and as someone who you know loves entrepreneurship and business i'm like there's so much more potential to get the value and build even deeper connections at a way quicker pace when someone is a little more um, you know, public, so to speak. So we'll talk on that. And then any, if anyone is doubting the, 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 the podcast as a whole being like, I don't know who this guy is. Maybe that'll put any fears aside and then we'll get into some yeah. really fun stuff. Sure. Anonymity or pseudonymity. Um, is kind of been deeply ingrained into crypto from the start since the founder of the first blockchain bitcoin and the biggest one is is anonymous um and you know everybody has a different reason who's anonymous in the space there are a lot of people who operate anonymously in the space and there's a lot of good reasons for that um i guess i'll start by sharing my personal reasons which have kind of evolved over time um, when I when I created the the Chapo account, the reason why I'm known as Chapo is um, I I had found out about Bitcoin. I started doing some research into crypto. I wanted to learn more about it. And uh, in my in my brief research online, I found that Twitter was a great place for it uh, to learn. That there was a lot of people sharing ideas, articles, um, updates on projects, and things like that. And that Twitter was a great platform. And I think I had just gotten done watching the Netflix show Narcos and mm-hmm. I created the El Crypto Chapo <laughs> handle on Twitter, which I had never been on Twitter before. So um, I created this and, and part of the reason why I, I created it with a, a handle like Chapo versus you know my real name was because I didn't know anything and I wanted to go and ask a whole bunch of dumb questions. And I really didn't want to be judged sure. for them by, by friends, family, and everybody else, people at Makes my employer and that sort of thing. So it, that's how it started. Um, Makes sense. And, and really, it was that way for years, um, as I learned, until I started getting more involved with the space. And as I got more involved with the space, really the first uh, major position that I took working in the crypto space was in an extremely cutting edge, innovative DeFi project called Reflect Finance. And it was, uh, it was a game-changing type of technology. Um, as you said, you, know, you can see why people might want to be anonymous who are um, developing these projects or launching these projects. I was leading one of those projects. And there was a lot of money invested in the, you know, in this project. And I was looked at as the one who was responsible for it. Mm. Um, there was a lot of public criticism about what was being done. 
Um, I can tell you, I received a lot of hate mail in my DMs and that didn't mm-hmm. make me threats to my family because mm-hmm. when things weren't going well, I was the one that was getting blamed. And I also became a very public figure in the social media realm of crypto talking about other projects and what I liked, what I didn't right. like about some. And I received a lot of hate mail for projects that I talked about publicly that I thought had potential issues and I warned investors about. I also, when I supported projects publicly and people invested and it didn't go well, um, everybody wants a finger to point. Right. I can understand how it affords someone freedom. I mean, we all know what's going on with Twitter in a way, but it affords someone the freedom to truly speak without necessarily having, you know, if, if you don't like a project, it it doesn't have... I, I, I get that perspective. That absolutely makes sense of why, and even as a journalist. Kind of like a, yeah, it gives you that freedom to, to speak right. without potential, the crazies of the world. That's right. Uh, potentially that's right. coming uh, coming to you know seek after you or your family. That's right. That's right. So that that kind of evolves because I had been in the space for four or five years, and a lot of people have seen the success that I've had as an investor too. So you have to assume that somebody that was in sure. the space since 2016 probably has a fair amount of crypto and has a fair amount of digital asset wealth also. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the real difference here between crypto and the real, I'll say the real world or traditional wealth is somebody with $10 million in the traditional space, you can't show up to their house and demand that they send you that $10 million in the click of a button. It's not literally. That's right. Um, and, and usually there's third party custody of it. And there's a lot of protection there that makes it so that just because you have $10 million doesn't mean that, you know, you're necessarily at risk. Um, right. In the crypto space, however, almost everything is self-custodied. Yeah. And it's transferable without these third party intermediaries and can be transferred. I mean, it's one of the beauties of crypto. It can be transferred at almost no cost at the drop of a dime. Yeah, makes sense. And and so the people who really have crypto wealth at this point um, need to be very careful because they can become targets. Yeah, makes sense. As, it as I move forward, and as I move forward to build a sure DeFi, what we're doing as a business now is um, we're taking identities and storing identities in a vault um, for people who don't want their identities released. And the more identities you have, that's valuable data that I'm now holding also as a business owner. Right. So it's important for our clients' security of their data that I remain anonymous also. Right, right. My little marketer business brain and, and entrepreneur brain and you know is like, wow, Assure DeFi needs the um a a you know a a humans spokesperson that speaks on behalf of I'm like oh that could be a solution to um to kind of the public facing part of things dependent upon I guess how big you want to get yes. into defi um, well, there's, like the yeah there's a couple there's a couple of things that you know we could potentially do and, and I've considered um you know doxing or becoming public myself um and also if we get if we get some things structured differently where I would be potentially less of a target and it wouldn't be nearly as much of a risk, I could see yep. myself becoming public. 
Um, one of our founders was actually public too, and he's still involved with the business also, and he may be more of a public spokesperson. And right. as as we've expanded, we've taken on a lot more people who are public, who can speak on behalf of the project and represent right. us or the company. So um, right. very cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. It's interesting for sure. It's always a well, question I get and something that's constantly on my mind too. So well, and it makes sense. So I went I went deep into the like the DGN DeFi stuff of um you know, 5% per day projects and just exploring it with money I could gamble with because I wanted to understand that culture. I wanted to understand the communities and I just wanted to, I don't know, I guess we all have a bit of a gambler in us. So I wanted to take just a few percent of my net worth and gamble it so I could scratch the itch and not make stupid mistakes with the stuff that actually mattered. And Mm -hmm. there was a season, probably the last three, four months, like it was all hyped, like node projects and all this stuff and rug pulls left, right and center. And no one was really held I guess, accountable. They just kind of ran off with the money or, you know, I know some projects were like multi-sig, but still, I guess, I guess, you know, four to five people said, Hey, we'll, we'll take this money, whatever. There was rug pulls left, right and center and people losing money and no one held accountable. So Assure DeFi is um, basically solving that problem or helping solve that problem to build more trust in projects where the founders and leaders and want to remain anonymous, but they still want to be show investors that, they will be held responsible, um, you know, legally. Um, there's third parties who have access to their actual identities type of idea. So there's legal repercussions of kind of frauding the investors. That's a great Close. way to put it. Yeah. Um, I think if you look historically up to this point, there has been this uh, mutual exclusivity between being anonymous and being accountable. And that's a real problem in the crypto space because there's on top of what, you know, on top of the reasons why I said I'm anonymous or, and have remained anonymous, there's lots of other reasons why anonymity is a great thing. Um, for instance, this is a male dominated space. If, if you were a woman and you wanted to come work in the space, it may be tough for you to break into this space into such a male dominated uh, area. And there's a lot sure. of racism, age discrimination, this sort of thing. Anonymity is an inclusive type of concept that really pushes us as an industry further along where the world wants to go from an inclusivity perspective and a non-biased perspective. And that's a beautiful thing. I like that. Yeah. Um, Uh, What's that research? I was, I was, I remember reading about it. It was like, if you're a 32 to 34, whatever year old, white male, good looking blue eyes, like there's this certain type of male and female who your career and what you want is much easier to get fair, unfair. I can't judge that. It's just human it's reality. Are, it's reality. Um, and yeah. I remember you mentioning that weeks ago or months ago or whatever we talked and I was like, ha, huh, you can be, you know, not the typical, you know, we judge people. We let, let's just, let's just kind of cut the crap there. So when you look at someone, you get a, you, you know, you have an initial judgment and the internet is horrible for that. Horrible for that. Um, and so I can understand why someone who may not fit the profile just because you're 15 or just because you're 80 or just because you're, you know, 500 pounds or whatever we want to judge people on doesn't mean you can't provide more value than a, anyone else. So it, that to me makes a lot of sense too. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I come from a business background and I can tell you some of the smartest people in the world who are 300 pounds and have glasses and a comb over, yep. when they want to go raise money because they have a genius yeah. business concept yeah. they want to execute, they've got to hire somebody who's 32 to totally. 34 with blue with totally. blue eyes in order to go do it because that's what's needed, you know? And totally. this is this is a better, it's a better way. And the problem though is that's great. Okay. Anonymity prevents government overreach and it's inclusive and it allows people to stay safe and all these great things. The problem is, is that people who are raising money still need to be held accountable to investors. And you participated in this DGEN space. All right. This is the world I've lived in. And it sounds crazy to people who aren't in this space, but the reality is, is that there's these rugs and there's these scams and fraud. And, you know, you, you ask somebody, oh, what happened? And they say, well, $2 million fraud. And you're like, oh, who, who took the money? And you're like, oh, it was PD Boy 657. Yeah. And you're like, wait, the people gave this PD Boy 657 $2 million. And you're like, yeah, they did without even knowing who he is. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> you like, guys are idiots. Who are you? What, like, what an what? idiot. Yeah. Right. Like you guys deserve it. Right. It's like, yeah. why would you, why would you ever give a guy named PD boy six, five, seven, who you don't even know who it is, $2 million. And it's like, this seems so obvious to yeah. these the people in the outside world who are, or the traditional finance sector who look at us, they laugh because it's like, that doesn't make any sense why you would give so much money to people who have no accountability. And in this space, it's almost just been ingrained in us that that's the way it works. Yep. And it just, our view, my personal view is that it doesn't need to be that way and that anonymity and accountability don't need to be mutually exclusive. It just requires a trusted third party, which is the business that we created to privately create an accountability path and allow public anonymity which kind of yeah. allows them to still get all those benefits of anonymity, but also provide investors the accountability path that if PD boy decides he's going to run away with the money, um, we're going to make sure that law enforcement knows who he is and knows where to go find. Him. Yeah. It's such a huge, um, I mean, the, the service and the business you guys are building is to me so integral to making this whole thing work. Um, how long have you guys had Assure Defi? How long has it been you know, running or, or serving projects? So we launched in the first quarter of last year. Um, so our first, we actually just celebrated one year from the first verification that we did. So April, cool. April 21st of 2021 was our first verification. And we've done a little over 300, uh, 300 projects we've verified since. Yeah, I think I just saw you guys' badge pop up on uh, Project X, which I know is doing a whole bunch of changes. That was one of like the the DeFi projects that you know I compounded in for six months and just got as big as it can. But I saw just recently, I think I saw a little badge pop up, and I was like, "Hey, that's a sure DeFi." <laughs> hey, there we are. Really cool. I'm really glad, cool. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're seeing us. Yeah, it's really um, really cool. Okay, so. So we got that out the way. So anyone listening, maybe who's newer to the space or or still, um, what's so what's so funny to me is I was I was just talking to someone. They're like, "How are you getting you know thirty to forty percent returns and calling that safe?" Because there's some projects that I'm like, for crypto, this is fairly safe. But I just had someone call right. me two weeks ago wanting me to invest in. I had an opportunity to invest in some overseas um, 
property type thing that was a guaranteed 10% with like five years, I'd recoup my initial investment and it was 10%. And I'm like, why would I do that? It's, it's only 10%. And I had to check myself because I dollar cost averaged my way into index funds for a very long time. And back in the day when I worked on the oil rigs, the company would match my investment. So I was like getting free money and I was maybe doing six to 8% per year. And I was stoked on that. And it's funny how crypto and DeFi has like, I kind of like, like golf at like, I'm, I'm like 10% only you're only making 10%. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It, it does change your perspective, doesn't it? It's yeah. um, in a lot of ways, it changes your perspective. You know, the, the aspect of DeFi and yield now in crypto, you were asking um, earlier what one of the biggest differences between now and when I first got into the space. Um, this goes along with the overall theme, but back in 2016 or 2017, there was no such thing as yield on crypto. You, you, all you could do was buy right. the tokens, stick them under your mattress and hope at some point down the road, you could sell them for more. Sure. And, and now what's so different about the space is yield is a big part of a financial system, an incentive to hold, an incentive to lend, to borrow, you know, cost to borrow, having uh, is all part of a real financial system. And so um, the aspect of yield has certainly very much transformed the space. And because of the overall inherent risks of crypto and the fact that there are still a lot of people who don't really believe in it, don't understand the technology, it has a limited user base, um, it's still so new. The opportunity, at, you know, I don't view those all those things as a risk, and I think it's because I understand it well enough that I realize how sound the technology is. Um, but that risk is baked into the reward, and so you That's really right. can make unbelievable returns that are truthfully very safe or as safe as. People who are, you know, in the traditional market issuing notes or, you know, bonds and that sort of thing. There's risk associated with those too, um, and I, I truthfully think that the risks aren't too far off, but the returns are just yeah. so widely different in this space. It does really, it does make you, it does make it tough sometimes to go invest in the traditional market after you yeah. really get deep into the space. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks for calling me because I just keep pulling money out and they're like, is everything okay? Um, yeah, everything's okay. Like everything's mm -hmm. fine. Um, okay. So I think, I think what's happened over the last few years, and I have of course my own opinions on that. And, um, and I'm super happy when everyone else has their own opinions on it. I think that's adulting when two people can have opposing views and still get along, like go Twitter. So now people can be adults and share their opinions without getting banned. Um, I got shadow banned off like Instagram, off of Facebook. We left Canada because of what I considered government overreach. But I grew up with a dad who escaped communist Poland. And when I was young, he was like burying guns in the mountain of Canada because the government in Canada was trying to ban or um, register long guns. And my dad's like, I'm not registering these guns. So I believe he was like burying them in vacuum sealed things. So I kind of grew up around a family that didn't trust government because at some point, no matter how much we trust a government, I think corruption is just human nature. And at some point down the line, um, yep, corruption is going to take hold. And I think a lot of us haven't experienced that. So Canadians or Americans, at least these generations, we haven't experienced like government coming and taking 50% of our money out of our bank because they have to fund a war or 
um, you know, hey, if you come to the bank, you're going to exchange this currency and we're not going to give you this currency back. We're going to give you a different currency, whatever. So I think we're a little mm-hmm. spoiled in that sense. But in my mind, when I discovered crypto, I was like, whoa, this is so aligned with not that I'm a conspiracy theorist and I think fundamentally governments mean well and banks mean well and regulators mean well. I, I, I fundamentally believe that because I believe in people and I bet on people, but there's always bad players in every game. So to me, this was a no brainer. When it comes to um, the crypto space and adoption, five years ago, I'm sure there was a different vibe and a different type of person um, who went deep into crypto, but now it's becoming more and more mainstream and we see commercials with it. How is mm-hmm. how is that kind of changing? And, and how is, because I know you guys provide that service that you're making it just a little quote unquote safer or um, I guess easier, the barrier of entry easier to get into and start investing somebody. How is that kind of changing and and, and, and yeah. what do you see happening on that front, that adoption? And, I mean, know. it's a, it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I think when you look at a, um, an adoption curve for any technology, you know, there's, there's like this, this standard, I, I think it's the S curve uh, for adoption. And if you look at what that, you know, what that really entails, you have the early adopters, you kind of have the pioneers first, then you have the early adopters, then you have the early majority, then the majority, then the late majority. And finally, it's kind of like the rest, right? And trying to figure out where we are on that curve, I, you know, I truthfully still think we're on the early adopters, but I think four or five years ago, you were still seeing almost the pioneers. And yeah. to be a pioneer, you have to be a little bit of the visionary because it doesn't exist yet. You got to be a believer. You got to yep. be a, you got to almost have this emotional tie to it. Like you said, you had this experience with your family and the way you were brought up and you have this kind of innate sense of government mistrust. And it's, it, there was a lot more people who were four, who four or five years ago weren't just there for the financial gains. They That's were there right. because they were believers in the revolution. And um, they wanted to see this succeed because they were more the, the maybe conspiracy theorists, or the, the tin hatters. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that and that sort of thing. And there was less people who were. It was very much less corporate for sure. Um, yeah. There was not nearly the large financial institutions. Um, it was so much less organized. It was much more community based uh, than yep. it is now. And there's a lot of segregation because of this is how all markets are when they mature. Um, as this, as the market has matured, it's been uh, segmented. So you have your NFT people now, you have your right. your DeFi people now, right? You have these these individual segments that you can almost rotate through. Where there's the meme coin people, there's the DeFi people, there's the NFT people, right? Yeah. Um, there's and, and now there's a whole market for stablecoin, and there's the stablecoin yielders. Sure, you know, and um, space. What it Lots is, money, and man. what's and what's interesting is it used to be the crypto space. Yeah, right. Now it's not it's not like that anymore. It's grown past that. We're not all one big happy community. It's uh, who's who's fighting for the revolution. I think we won. The revolution's here. 
it's the train has sailed. It's past the point of no return. It's a $2 trillion market that's going to continue to grow. Everybody who's been in the space knows it. And now it's just a matter of these like different secular growth uh, yep. paths. And is it going to be the NFTs that really keep going? It, you know, right. where do you want to be at any given time? And it becomes, it starts to look more like the traditional finance market where yep. industrials make a run, then healthcare runs, then finance runs. Um, it really is maturing to a true mirror image or a parallel financial system like that. And that has a big different feel as far as who's participating and how it, the vibe, as you said. Yeah, I guess it forces the uh, the pioneers, we would call them, or the really early adopters, they either need to open their minds or they become dinosaurs. And I'm sure the space is very open-minded, but um, I'm sure just like any industry, there's the early, early, early pioneers and, you know, it's, it's the Bitcoiners and, you know, all I do is hold Bitcoin and all these other altcoins are, are scams and junk. But as the market matures, you know, um, people are kind of forced to open their mind and start seeing this as much bigger than maybe even just a philosophical type of, um, you know, fight for freedom. Cause not everyone believes in it. Who's in this space anymore. Um, it's become much more mainstream. Totally. And, and yeah. I think what's, I saw a stat um, last week where it said that only 10% of people holding Bitcoin only hold Bitcoin. That's right. And that, that, that surprised me actually a lot because there's, I think that's another thing that's really changed in the last four or five yeah. years here is that there was definitely the Bitcoin maximalists, uh, this yeah. huge camp that was like, it's Bitcoin and only Bitcoin and everything else is trash, like you said. And Boy, you'd that's a really tough argument to still have today with what's and, and going you missed on. Missed out totally, yeah. yeah. And so, I think some people have kind of just resigned to the fact that they were wrong, and a lot of yeah. them have waved the white flag and realized that 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 argument was a lot stronger four or five years ago. And even me, at some point, I was like, Yeah, whew, I can see Bitcoin, Bitcoin's not going away. I could see all this other stuff potentially going away, but you can't. <laughs> it's not going away anymore. I can just tell you, yeah. this is, this isn't a one coin market. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, very mature and complex these days. And, and there's real value in all of these other segments that aren't big. Yeah. yeah. Big problems being solved. I was walking down the grocery store. If you're listening, you won't be able to see this, but if you're watching, you will. I was walking down the grocery store and I saw, I generally don't pay attention to the checkout magazines. I kind of force myself not to look at the magazines because I don't want to, you know, put junk in my brain, but for whatever reason I looked and I saw, you know, magazine talking about Will Smith slapping whoever he slapped. And I'm like, look away, look away. And right next to it was this magazine that is cryptocurrency right on the front aisle page, right next to all the Hollywood gossip. And so I picked it up just to read through it and the depth of which the magazine went and, and, you know, explained Bitcoin, altcoins, mining, um, wallets, cold wallets, hot wallets, how to get into it, exchanges. I was like, there's people picking up this magazine. I'm not sure how many of this copy were sold. I'd like to look that up. But it amazed me um, that right next to Hollywood Will Smith type stuff was this Bitcoin magazine. And I did see a few people picking it up, looking at it. So the interest is there. And I think, like you said, it's too big to fail. Um, but there's probably a lot of a lot of things, a lot of hoops that crypto still has to jump through, but I think the community is doing a really great job of it. Yeah. you. I mean, you you started out by saying when you see stuff like that, it makes you feel like you're not early and you're late. It's like, oh, wow, it's in the checkout line here. I'm late. But um, 
everybody who's in the space makes you feel that way because they've already been in the space. And the ones who are actively participating have all been here for years. And the ones that are leading and educating and things like that have been here. But um, you have to always, I think, realize that it's, this is, but the parallel I always draw is that this is the next layer of the internet. So we're, we're basically 12 years into this. So 12 years into the internet, the web space looked absolutely nothing like it looks sure. now. Amazon wasn't even created yet. You know, Google did, the search engine didn't exist yet. <laughs> so right. like little blogs so, and read only type stuff. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And businesses hadn't integrated it yet. Yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were still, they weren't using uh, Venmo didn't exist. You know, people didn't have wireless Wi-Fi. This was all hardwired. Yeah. Gmail didn't yeah. exist. I mean, we are, we are still in the yeah. very, very early stages of it. And these types of major changes to the world take generations of infrastructure to be built. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, I think the biggest thing is it actually takes at least one generation because um, we're probably somewhere around the same age, you know, or at least of the same generation. And I can tell you, most of our parents' generation are to the point where even if they thought it was interesting, it's just not worth it for them to try to go down this rabbit hole and spend five years to learn how to do it, to participate. So they're just kind of like, yeah, right. it's not for me. We still right. have a lot of our, our years left and know that if it's really going to change, we're going to have to, and it's better to do it now and be involved than not at all. But yeah. if, you, if you look at our kids' generation, our kids won't know anything different. And real money, real money to our kids is digital money that, you know, they're going to, they're going to think it's crazy. These people used to trade around metal shekels, you know, like that was, I can't believe you lived during the black and white days of TV and when you traded around metal shekels and called that money, you know? Right. Um, and, And once our kids are there, you know, 20 years from now and our kids are adults, they haven't ever known anything else and the world will truly have changed. Yeah. So yeah, past, it just takes past time. due. Yeah. Past due. I'm, I'm yeah. looking for, uh, I was, I was parking in Vancouver like a few days ago and I'm looking for coins because my phone was dead and I couldn't pay for digital parking or whatever the app. So I'm looking for coins and I, <laughs> I really don't hold coins anymore. Um, and I walked up to the parking meter and I literally just asked someone, Hey, do you have a dollar? And they gave it to me. Um, but I'm like, I just can't wait till I can scan my, you know, crypto wallet address, whatever currency is used to kind of trade, whichever one makes sense. And I can just scan it and it'll take 10 little tokens out of my wallet and pay for parking. Um, like it's 2022. We, our technology is so beyond coins and totally. ripped dollar bills. Like the technology is way beyond that. Banks just haven't had competition. And now I guess they do. There's been I, no innovation. Think, yeah. And I think the interesting thing and what I hear from a lot of people that prevents them from getting in the space or prevents them from owning it is it's so complicated. I don't understand it. Right. Right. Um, That's, I mean, that's most people I talk to, boy, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. And I can tell you 10 or 12 years after the internet was invented, it wasn't easy to use. The interfaces were terrible. People are like, I'm not sure why I would use this when I can still send a postcard. I just don't get it. Right. And it's not until the infrastructure is all built the UIs become much more clean and look exactly like, you know, the UIs that you're used to, um, used used to interfacing with now and everything. And it's going to be exactly like the internet. The truth is 
everybody in the world almost uses the internet and almost nobody understands how it works. You just that's use right. it. And, and that's how crypto will be too. It's like, you don't have to understand the Federal Reserve System and monetary policy to use money either. Um, right. And event, eventually you just, everything happens because you, you end up getting forced to use it because you need to pay for your parking. And the only way to, to pay for it is through park, parking coin, that's right. right? That's right. <laughs> and, yeah, that's right. But it's really easy, but it's really easy to get parking coin. You download an app, you connect your bank account, you scan it, and boom, parking coin that's came right. out of your wallet. You so get your tokens. we're just not there yet. We're at these early nascent days where things are complicated to use. They're confusing. They're risky. They're not secure. Yep. It's it's so early and you, you do have yep. to con- just continue to remind yourself that. Agreed. I think seven years ago when I got into marketing, uh, I don't even think ClickFunnels was around. Anyone listening who knows marketing, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so I had to build no under basic coding to at least be able to drop some code or Java or something into a website that was built on WordPress. Now it's like you, you can build a website in, I mean, 10 minutes if you suck and you can collect leads and, you know, internet is, is a very user-friendly. So agreed. I see the same parallel. If somebody is sitting there, they're listening here. They, they got you on Twitter. I believe it's El Crypto Chapo on Twitter. I'll leave the link below and they're listening to this podcast and I'm sure they're watching other people in this space and, trying to wrap their heads around it and they're picking up magazines at the grocery store aisle and you know they got a little money that they're willing to invest in what are some of the red flags and this is a pretty broad question but what are some of the red flags or if they're looking at projects or they're you know they they've got their little browser tab on Chrome with 60 different tabs of projects they've been looking at and they're feeling a little overwhelmed what could a new investor sort of look out for slash a little guidance for them? Anything you got for them? Yeah, sure. Big question. Um, Yeah, certainly. Um, You know, this market's so huge. There's so many different things you can look at to evaluate projects. But um, if if you're new to the space, my recommendation is always buy some Bitcoin, buy some Ethereum, and spend a year learning. You know, um, I could just tell you those are those are safe bets that are you're betting on. It's like buying an index fund. You know, if you don't know anything about the stock market, don't bet on a don't go bet on a company. Just buy the S and P and then start learning about the industry as a whole before you just go make a bet on one stock, right? Yep. Uh, um, so, um, Ethereum, ETH, Bitcoin, both will be around, and both are both the number one and two market caps. And if the overall crypto space does well, they will do. T- they will too. So Bitcoin's pretty much uh, like fifty percent of the market cap, isn't it? Like, or has fifty percent of the market, isn't it? It's like yep, a trillion. That's about right. Cap, I think. Yeah, it is. Yep, I think a little. I think a little under that now with the recent downturn, right. but it's. But it's close. Um, it generally represents about half of it, and ETH's number two by a pretty wide margin still. Yep. Um, but you know, once you dig in and if you want to go the, the next layer, that's usually how everyone gets into crypto. You buy Bitcoin or you buy Ethereum, and then you realize that there's a billion other tokens, and that um, you, you get that DG, the, the DGen gambler itch, and you want to go invest in something that has the upside of you know the hundred x gains and things like that. And I think that's where investors need to start being careful. Um, those hundred x gains are awesome, but they also come with absolute total losses. Yeah. So when you're looking at projects that are more in the in the risky uh, type of space that might have more upside that are newer um, and obviously a much lower market cap, um, some things you want are 
you want public, well-known teams, or you want teams that have been verified by a company like ours, um, which gives you that protection and gives you the confidence that the leadership is is in place and is going to continue to drive it forward. Um, you know, some of you the guys best- help. Um, apologize. Do you guys help guide okay. when when um, when projects signed up with you to you know get docs and KYC and and all that? Are you guys also part of their? Um, what word am I looking for? Not their team, but their, um, you know, their board or help guide them through. I think there's a lot of coders and a lot of really smart people who are building projects, but they know nothing about business, really probably not much about marketing or nothing about community. And I, I see that happening a lot. So they definitely need guidance in terms of how to build a community and actually kind of they do. build a business. Do you guys help them with that? Um, I'll say to some extent, I think what you're probably referring to is more like an incubator for projects where yeah. um, inc- we partner with services like that, that are launch pads, incubators, accelerators cool. that are really more uh, projects come to them so that they can get connected with auditors, you know, code auditing firms, you know, somebody like us, people who can cool. be community managers, other resources. Um, and we do a little bit of that. It's just not our core business. You know, we provide the verification and sure. we're more of the sure we'll help you network. If you come and verify with us and as a customer, we'd be happy to help connect you with some of our, our resources and network too. Cool. Um, but we don't get paid to do it like incubators do. Very needed. I mean, I, I feel like these these guys and gals and people are being given millions of dollars. Um, and I think they're great at what they do, which is coding and creating the infrastructure. But when I jump into some of these communities and just see how things are run, I'm like, hey, they need help. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, it's, inter- it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's like you've got the, um, the engineers trying to be the salespeople right. and the business people all in one, and, and you just can't do it all. It does take a village to really have a successful project. And that's why betting on teams is important. And as much yeah. as ideas are great, right? So the, the best angel investors and venture capital firms in the world, they don't really bet on, if you look at the questions they ask in those interviews, it's all about the people and who they are, right? And I think that's part of the reason why what we're doing so important for this space is there has never been a company until ours that offered what I'd kind of define as a leadership audit. It's, It's like a code audit, but we're auditing the people. We're reviewing the people and making sure we know who they are. And I think it's extremely important. When you're looking at who to invest in, I think that's a good way to put it. Instead of looking at what to invest in, look at who to invest in and look at their history and, you know, how they've been successful and other things they've done in the space. And I think that you do do yourself a, a great service to just follow people who have built successful things because they have a track record of doing it and they'll continue to likely do it because they have the experience to continue to, to do some of the same things and use that network from their past um, experiences to make whatever they're doing currently successful. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's a lot of things you can look for. Obviously you want audited code. Um, you want to make sure that they have an active and thriving community of people because a lot of the things in the crypto space are dependent upon the entire community kind of rallying together, all the people who hold this token rallying together and working together to drive it forward. Um, and, but there's a number of things. I guess one of the tough things 
in the crypto space is that there's so many ways investors can get hurt through exploits and hacks and the leadership abandoning the project and you know code issues and team tokens getting dumped on everybody and dropping the price and there's just so many bad things that can happen it's really tough for investors who might not be the most savvy in the space to go through and have this gigantic due diligence checklist but that's i guess that's why i always go back and why i build a business around the people because if the people running and leading the project are worth their you know are are worth it and they're good they will have done all these things to protect their investors yeah yeah so yeah I, I guess, guess that's why I always just circle back to the people because that's really, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And nothing happens without the people. And if they're good people running it, if you have a good CEO, he's going to do all the right things. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I guess you can compare it a lot. So three years ago, I think I wrote a vision of, I'm going to build a $25 million online company so I can have the funds because I really wanted to get into kind of venture capital type stuff and get into those circles um, because that's really the only way I knew how to do it. I need, I need big money. I need the connections and I want to get into projects really, really early. Crypto and DeFi came around and I'm like, huh, I could do this without any gatekeepers telling me, hey, you don't have you know, a million bucks or whatever. And I can put 50 bucks into what feels like venture capital in a way. So I'll you know, look at the 25 top projects and know that 50% of them are probably going to fail. 20% of them may break even and 10% of them or 15% of them. Um, I hope to do well. So that was my approach to it. And I was reading a lot about venture capital stuff years ago because I wanted, when the opportunity stroke I, or striked, I wanted to get in on it. Then I see people who are like, I put a whole bunch of money into two projects and they both failed and they're very upset about it. I do feel like um, it's, it's kind of that game, like to think that every project is going to be successful when it's that early and it is kind of venture capital stuff. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it is. Then I'm like, you're probably going to lose money. And so yep. I'd rather spread it out and, you know, find really good projects, good people, and not even hope because the statistics know that 10 or 15% of the projects will do well and the other ones may not. And that's okay. Is that, is that a good philosophy approach? Absolutely. I mean, here's, there's so many attack factors that even the best intentioned people with the that's best right. ideas, the projects can go to zero and this is a lot like angel investing. It's the VC right. game. VCs know that no matter how well they effectively vet people and projects and everything like that, that eight out of 10 of their projects or eight That's out right. of 10 of their investments are going to fail. And right. it's that you just have to believe that the two that are successful, one's going to go 10x and one's going to go 100x and you're going to make a ton of money even though eight of them went to zero. That's right. And, and that is that is absolutely the crypto game if you're playing in the small cap, yeah. new launches, degen space, whatever it is. It's a straight numbers game and diversifying, spreading your risk out, good portfolio management where you're not allocating a, a large percentage to these plays that could go to zero. Um, a lot of people talk in this space about capital preservation because if you don't have money for the next play, you right. could be toast, you know, and, You're done. and it's a, it, it, yeah. And you want to, you want to be able to make as many bets as you can essentially. And that's really what they are in that space. They're bets. Uh, <laughs> there's, yep. there, there's no, there's no telling which ones will be you know successful and which ones aren't. Um, but there is ways, like I talked about to try to mitigate some unnecessary risk and at least 
just like VCs do, just because they know eight out of 10 are, are going to fail doesn't mean that they don't make educated bets on That's where right. they're putting their money, right? So it, it is the reality, though. It's just like almost any new businesses. Most of them fail. And in this space, especially with the amount of fraud, scams, exploits, and all of these different bad things that take projects to zero, it's not it's even worse than it is in the traditional space as far as you know the execution or the business thesis not working out in this space there's way more things that can can make these projects go to zero and so the success you know the success totally. rates low i'll just say that totally. so but when they are successful man they they uh, they make headlines grow. they make headlines and, then, and things can, and that's why people that's why it's an exciting space to be in and that's why people continue to place those bets right that's right that's right. Man, I feel like there's going to be a part two, part three, part four of this podcast. we got some really awesome guests lined up, but this has been such a pleasure. I want to make sure that I respect your time and everyone else's time. Um, I think to recap, I think we got a really good understanding of one of the biggest questions I had, which is why do people remain anonymous when, you know, wrapping our head around that. So that was massively helpful and understanding the basic vetting of projects plus a really macro look at this crypto space. I ask every guest this question on every podcast and every interview I do. Um, bit of a personal question, and I'm happy to pause for a minute if it takes that long, because I also believe that personal mastery and the pursuit of personal mastery, which was what I've based my entire last business on, is fundamental to success. We can have all the tactics and hacks, and I think everyone has a nugget of wisdom to share, sometimes built upon a ton of failure and we learn lessons through failure or sometimes just built upon wisdom and, and you know, success principles. Um, you, you mentioned we're probably around the same age. So, you know, you've probably been around the planet for 30 or 35 spins or, or however many spins around the sun you've been on. What if, if you could drop a nugget of wisdom and, and this could be for crypto, this could be for DeFi, or this could just be for some sort of life principle that helps guide you to the next levels of success, what would that nugget of wisdom, of knowledge be that we could write in a journal and um, kind of make it ingrained into our own philosophy of, of success in this space? And I think just business and life in general. Yeah, Not a I deep question the, or anything like that. <laughs> I, I love the question. It's, it's a good one to ask all of your guests. Um. I think for me, it's it's mostly about personal accountability. Um, I I had a lot of um, failures when I first started in crypto, and you know I lost a lot of money, and my education in crypto was extremely expensive. <laughs> um, but I can kind of relate. I, it hurts. Yeah, it does. It was very painful at the time, but. Um, I didn't blame anyone but myself. And I've always been that type of person that when I have failures, um, I know that this is a kind of cliche about looking at failures as learning opportunities. But when I fail, um, I, I feel like the first thing I do is I run to the mirror and I look in the mirror and I ask myself why I failed. And I don't stop looking in the mirror until I figure that question out. And that's very different than I think the way most people approach life, business, everything else. Um, a lot of people, when they experience failure, the first thing they want to do is find out whose fault it is. And I think 
it's always my fault if I fail. There's nobody else to blame but me. There, there might have been external factors, but at the end of the day, I have to figure out what I can do differently next time to not put myself in that situation if somebody harmed me. If, if somebody caused my failure, it's not their fault. It's my fault for you know, putting myself in a situation where my success was dependent upon that person, for instance. And so I, I guess my nugget of wisdom is anytime you experience failure um, and you're trying to figure out what to do about it, um, <laughs> looking back on it doesn't, looking back on it and, and weeping about it certainly doesn't do anything. I, I literally think about a mirror, like failure leads me to go to the mirror. And sometimes I actually go and I look, look at myself in the mirror and talk, as strange as it sounds, talk about my failure and, you know, kind of commit to myself that I'm going to figure it out how I'm not going to get here again. And that's led to a lot more success in the future. And I feel like every time I do that, it, taking that personal accountability and literally telling yourself that it's your fault that you're here and nobody else's, it forces you to want to do something about it versus feel sorry for yourself. It is no wonder to me um, as to why, you know, you've seen the level of success you have. And I think that's a very rare trait, but literally, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a, if you don't have that, um, you're going to struggle. So it's, it's no wonder to me why you've um, seen so much in the success in this space. So thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. If people want to find you, uh, I'm going to have the link for your Twitter below. Cause I know you're, that's pretty much where I found you. Like you're the most active on Twitter, but anywhere else people can find you, um, you know, keep getting educated on this whole space. Uh, Twitter's really been just such an amazing platform for me. And uh, that's where usually people get me. It is my primary hub. Um, I spend a lot of time there still. And um, if anybody ever wants to DM me, uh, um, my DMs are always open and I'm always very active too. So I'm, I'm all about education. And that's why I think things like you know, podcasts like this, uh, people who are creating educational platforms, it's just what's needed to continue to drive this space forward. And um, if anybody ever has personal questions, I'm always happy to answer them via DM too. So just look me up at El Crypto Chapo on, uh, on Twitter and fire me a DM. Happy to talk to you. We'll have the links below. Chapo, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks, man.